I think it's time to start now. And I would like to welcome all of you to our first um, OTJR seminar series in week one. And um, I'm very delighted to welcome Susanne Barclay-Zister. Susanne Barclay-Zister is director of the Center for Conflict Studies at the University of Marburg, um, where she teaches in peace and conflict studies with a special focus on transitional justice. She has obtained her PhD from the London School of Economics and has written her PhD on Uganda. And then Susanna has shifted her focus to Rwanda, not that far away, and um, has done extensive field research in the country. And um, after that, she went to the Center for Conflict Studies and. Um, I think what would be important to mention is also that um, she has co-edited a um, book on transitional justice theory and Routledge um, series on transitional justice that has just been published, I think, two weeks ago. And um, as to the topic today, which is going to be on the Schönhausen Memorial uh, in Berlin, Germany, um, she will also co-edit a book on memorials to transition that will be published in the Intercentia series on transitional justice. And I think that might be this year or beginning sure. of next year. Um, yeah, Susanna, you have the word. Please. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. Um, <clears throat> uh, Julia knows about the last publication because she has a chapter in that book as well. <laughs> You might have known your fellow Germans, um, so we have a bit of a history together. Thanks very much for inviting me. Um, <clears throat> this is the t second time I'm in Oxford. I don't come here very often. Last time I came here was eight years ago because Phil Clark has invited me, and I had this person in my tummy. I was four months pregnant. So <laughs> next time I come, he's probably an adult going, <laughs> going to the pub whilst I'm you know, kind of academically engaged. Um, Julia already said by way of introduction that the, the aspect of transitional justice, the part of transitional justice, the mechanism of transitional justice I want to look at in this presentation and you know, wrap it in a theoretical framework are memorials. Memorials have become a very important part of transitional justice practice um, and in addition to the immediate um, aspiration of serving as a symbolic reparation, for instance through acknowledging guilt, and responsibility and through vindicating the dignity of victims, debates around memorials also serve, according to my view, as seismographs for assessing tendencies within societies regarding how the past is being remembered. In this sense, they are not merely measures to promote transitional justice in and of itself, but they also provide insights into dynamics of dealing with the past in a society, what's very important for us as academics. Now, um, the, this presentation pursues the objective of introducing the notion of heterotopia as a methodology to analyze memorials. Michel Foucault's notion of heterotopia refers to designated spaces and places which challenge, transgress, transgress or run counter to prevailing norms and normalizations of society. Memorials can thus be understood as heterotopias which portray a particular narrative about the past which are situated in a social milieu with a polyphony of interpretations about the past. The notion that lends itself to the analysis of memorials as a space from an internal and external perspective. So what I want to do in this presentation is to first give you a bit of a background to the case study 
then introduce heterotopia as a methodology, return to the case study, apply this methodology to first look at what's happening inside of Hohenschönhausen, the memory Hohenschönhausen, I'll explain to you in a sec what that is, and then outside of Hohenschönhausen, beyond these boundaries, i.e. in the German society more generally. And then I'd like to draw some conclusions both regarding the memorial as well as regarding the methodology. And I tried to do this in 45 minutes. So does this picture remind you of something? Do you know who that is? German-speaking people excluded? Well, okay, this person has just spent some time in Germany and watched that movie as well. Um, it's the life of others. It's a German movie that won Oscars, and this is Ulrich Muir, um, who played a Stasi, German, East German secret police officer interrogating people. Who's watched the movie? Hohenschönhausen features in that movie. And visitor numbers rocketed after that movie. It's a very popular destination for dark tourism, but ever since that, even more. Um, <coughs> so... The Memorial Hohenschönhausen is dedicated to remembering the repression which took place in the Soviet zone of occupation after World War II and what, was and what subsequently became the German Democratic Republic that existed from 1949 to 1990. The, in short, GDR, organizational structure, was the Socialist Unity Party, the Sozialistische Einheitspartei, SED, with its influence penetrating all aspects of social life, including employment opportunities and education, as well as freedom of expression and movement. Over time, opponents of the regime and members of rival political parties from the early years, as well as dissidents, were subjected to various forms of repression, including administrative hurdles and all the way to arbitrary arrests. This was carried out by the Ministry of State Security in short, Stasi. I will talk about the Stasi a lot. Um, the secret arm of the Unity Party, SED, which by, in, by uh, 1989 counted 95,000 staff and 180,000 uh, unofficial informers mm -hmm. and spies within the society. From 51 until the fall of the Berlin Wall in 89, Hohenschönhausen served as the main remand prison for people detained by Stasi. Initially built as a factory for machines, the complex was first used as a security unit by Soviet secret police just after the Second War, and then it served as a Soviet remand prison before take, being taken over by Stasi. At the time, East German maps of the area Hohenschönhausen displayed only a void, a prohibited area, so no information about the existence of the prison was available publicly, and many inmates learned only later that they had been detained in Hohenschönhausen. As one of the 17 remand prisons in GDR, the building held mainly political opponents and SKPs, people who tried to cross the border, which was, some of you are fairly young, Maybe you don't remember, yeah, you were not allowed to cross the border from East Germany outside to, to West Germany or to other countries. People were shot when they did. So those who tried to escape or planned to escape were arrested and put into Hohenschönhausen as political prisoners. In many cases, the Stasi was already well informed about the people they arrested through espionage and used the time in Hohenschönhausen to confirm rather than to obtain information. I mentioned earlier there were lots of unofficial informers within society. So they knew what people had planned, or they thought they did. 
With the aid of strict solitary confinement, surveillance, dehumanizing conditions, and the so-called decomposition of their personality and inner strength, the German uh, word, where they told people they have cancer, but they didn't. You know, things like this, your husband cheats on you, but they didn't. So really to try to destroy people. The interrogators worked for months on getting detainees to confess so they could obtain, complete their record and render them official, i.e. usable in court, because they couldn't use secret information in court. During this time, the inmates were generally not allowed any contact with family members or lawyers, so that the interrogator remained the only human being they encountered. <coughs> the statements made during detention served as evidence in court, even in cases where the detainees withdrew their confession. Since the Stasi destroyed most of its evidence in 89 and 1990, there is no reliable data as to how many people were imprisoned in Tornschönhausen. Although the total number of political detainees in GDR is estimated to have been between 200 and 250,000. After its closure in 1990, public sentiment was that people should be able to witness with their own eyes how the Ministry of State Security, the Stasi, operated. Um, <coughs> it was held that the function of Hohenschönhausen in the repressive regime of the second German dictatorship, uh, that's a quote, dictatorship, it's often referred to as after fascism, the second German dictatorship, that's disputed, warrants the significance of, of the site as a central memorial of the Federal Republic, the reunited Germany. It's important to note that Hohenschönhausen lies somewhere between a conventional memorial and a museum, i.e. it resembles what has been referred to as a memorial museum. And there are two other examples, one is Srebrenica in Bosnia and the other one is the Robben Island Museum when Nelson Mandela was imprisoned in South Africa and Robben Island and Hohenschönhausen see each other a little bit as siblings. Mind you, Hohenschönhausen is not as famous as Robben Island. Um, Contemporary forms of memorials and museums in particular tend to blur the boundary be between these categories since they are simultaneously sites of remembrance and commemoration, displaying didactics, representation and interpretation. They use specific sites of representation, torture and repression, torture and massacre to evoke memories of horrific pasts and the suffering that accompanied, accompanied it. Memorials thus do not seek to represent a balanced view but are explicitly political by offering historical narratives couched in a moral framework. Typically, they are located at the original sites, suggesting a sense of authenticity with small collections enriched by stories entrusted to them and um, confidence imparted to them by survivors, family members and their descendants who use them both as spaces of private mourning and public memory. In this sense, the former Stasi-Riemann prison can also be considered as a memorial museum, where the display is combined with guided tours, essential experiences, and commemoration for those who is, it, it is appropriate. The analysis of, of commemoration and representation, which take the form of memorials and or museums, has become a new area of research. I'm now moving in more, into more the theoretical part of the paper. They are recognized as sites of production which do not simply represent the objects on display but construct them anew. They produce and reproduce images about these objects and couch them in historical narratives 
with a specific view to past, present and future. Scholars such as James E. Young have moved beyond this analysis of the sites and their attempts to knowingly or unknowingly tamper with history to include the political and cultural conditions and circumstances of their emergence. Yet, once a memorial or a museum has been erected, the wider social context is also important since the site may develop a life on its own. Beyond the intention of the initiators, you can never fully control the process. It is thus important to analyse them against the backdrop of social relations as reflected in memory construction and transitional justice processes. Analysing social relations is central to the philosophy and work of Michel Foucault, a French philosopher. His work has been associated inter alia with uncovering social power relations and systems of domination, in our context, the politics of memory, and thus lends itself to a critique of memorial museums that seek to promote a particular narrative in order to homogenize a discourse. However, Foucault's work is also, also contains other merits for the analysis of memorial museums, which might lead to a more nuanced perspective beyond the mere albeit important analysis of power relations. His notion of heterotopia, as developed in his short essay of other spaces in 1967, shall thus serve as a foil to analyse the Memorial Museum Hohenschönhausen. Heterotopia is a Greek word, hetero meaning other, topia meaning space, designates spaces and places which at a particular moment in time challenge, transgress, or run counter to prevailing norms and normalisations in society. They are spaces which reflect prevailing social relations in a way that negate and invert them. The term is derivative of the word utopia, i.e. unreal spaces, which serve to either idealise the present society or to turn it upside down. In contrast, heterotopias are real spaces, which nevertheless also function as countersites to the present society, as their mirror images. As such, heterotopias are, and this is a quote by Foucault, designed into the very institution of society but which constitute a sort of counter-arrangement in which all the real arrangements, all the other real arrangements that can be found within society, are at one and the same time represented, challenged and overturned. A sort of place that lies outside all places, yet it's actually localizable. Heterotopias are thus isolated spaces of difference, such as graveyards, ships, funfairs or honeymoons, in which time and space is interrupted and rendered discontinuous. For Foucault, heterotopias are universal and a part of every culture, even though their interpretation and role might change over time. Their structure is based on a system of inclusion and exclusion regarding who is permitted to enter, as well as on rituals and conventions to regulate admission, such as paying admission um, at the entrance um, of, a, of a fun fair, for instance, or when you want to enter a college in Oxford for visiting. Um, moreover, they are often related to ruptures in history where they seek to freeze a particular moment in time for eternity. Heterotopias emerge when a space is endowed with a specific function by society. In other words, they cannot be understood by looking at the space independently of society, 
but only in relation to prevailing social relations and norms. In this sense, and again I quote Foucault, on the one hand, they perform the task of creating a space of illusion that reveals how all of real space is more illusionary, all the locations within which life is fragmented. On the other, they have the function of forming another space, another real space, as perfect, meticulous, and well-arranged as ours is disordered, ill-conceived, and in a sketchy state. This heterotopia is not an illusion, <coughs> is not one of illusion, but one of compensation. End quote. In this latter sense, it is due to their perfection that they serve as spaces for compensation for real inadequate spaces. Regarding museums, it's mean <coughs> this means that I collect relics of a particular time and enclose them in a defined space which resides simultaneously inside as well as outside of society. There are spaces in time as well as timeless spaces. Although Foucault relates this explicitly to modern museums in the 19th century, traces of this, of, uh, this way of organizing time are still prevalent today, including at Hohenschönhausen. Crucially, in his description of heterotopias, Foucault makes reference to what lies beyond us, what draws us out of ourselves, thus challenging the space which is most comparable to us and where we feel at home. Heterotopias can hence be seen as a vantage point from which to assess and analyze what is taken for granted, what has become normal. They are sites of contestation which by virtue of being outside and other, yet intrinsically linked to the everyday, enable the transgression of prevailing discourses and hegemonic narratives. Heterotopias may thus serve as powerful vehicles to critique the present. Translated to museums, heterotopia can be seen as um, a positive force for dismantling notions of historical continuity and coherence, and thus for resisting all transgressing systems that cast historical events as fixed. Museums display objects by contrasting them to the conceptual order of the culture or society in which they, are, they would normally be understood. They collect, order and exclude, constructing frames of references and maps in order to read the world. In this sense, they can turn into spaces of representation that lie outside the dominant discourse of a society. In fact, they may potentially run counter to these discourses. <coughs> Since museums are always about the representation of objects, and never about the objects themselves, they offer an experience of the gap between things and the conceptual or cultural orders in which they are interpreted. Yet, you may wonder, <coughs> what is the significance um, of memorial museums as heterotopia in the context of transitional justice? With the increased emphasis of remembrance um, which memorial museums bring with them, it is important to ask what political and social role they play after the end of violence and, uh, and oppression. While this is always a matter of empirical analysis, a few conceptual conclusions can be drawn out of this relationship. From the perspective of heterotopia, of other spaces, the question is less about the hegemonic narratives museum evoke, that too, but also their agency within uh, situated in social structures more generally. 
How is their representation a response to the discourse or disorders to refer to Foucault prevalent in society? How do they delineate an inside from an outside? How do they function as spaces of resistance, of, as other spaces, that challenge what lies outside? Bearing these questions in mind, I'd now want to turn to the Memorial uh, Museum Berlin Hohenschönhausen. I really like this map because it kind of captures the inside and outside in a sense. I was quite pleased when I found that it's Google Images. So. So how does Hohenschönhausen become its narrative and what history does it uh, reenact regarding Stasi crimes? How is this past portrayed and what is it intended to do? The following shall discuss the inside of the memorial and how it communicates with visitors through its physical structures and guided tours in order to then, in the next step, place this into the wider context, the outside, of remembering political repression during GDR in Germany today. So let's begin with the inside, the physical structures. <coughs> One important feature of Hohenschönhausen is that the buildings have remained almost unchanged since 1990, and that there are no captivating or overtly manipulative displays or showcases to directly capture the visitors, as is the case in similar post-socialist memorial museums, Poland, for instance. <clears throat> Rather, it transfers its meaning on a much more subtle level. The site comprises a number of structures, including buildings that use the function as the main remand center, the interrogation area, the prison hospital, as well as an external security structure, the watchtowers, a security gate, and a high wall with barbed wire. This choice of representation is not only a matter of aesthetics, but has a significant effect on the visitors. <clears throat> the Memorial Museum seeks to make claims to authenticity with the physicality of the object speaking for itself, reducing ambiguity and dissipating multiple interpretations. Authenticity is a powerful instrument at actual sites that commemorate suffering and pain. These sites tend to claim the authority of unreconstructed reality, leading visitors to confuse the present reality with the events of the past. <clears throat> they accept the narrative of the site as unmediated history. In other words, the narrative is taken literally and not as an interpretation. This authoritative stance has a powerful effect at Hohenschönhausen where the emotional response of visitors is induced by the structures. In this sense, <coughs> visitors are being told, rather than shown, how to feel. There is no room or freedom to stay with the metaphor of a prison for different interpretation or descent from this meta-narrative. Second aspects are guided tours, and a very central, a central feature of Hohenschönhausen. Based on a concept developed in 1995, visitors to Hohenschönhausen are led through the building in groups. They cannot, you can't go by yourself, you always have to book a tour, following a two-phase model. The first visit places relating to different areas of political repression, and then they follow the most important steps of Stasi prisons. In order to endure the coherence of the narrative that is recounted to visitors, a curriculum is provided to the tour guides 
which they must sign when taking up a position as a guide. Mirroring Foucault's point regarding rituals of inclusion and exclusion. The curriculum is part of a set of guidelines which, moreover, contain the rationale of the memorial, the organization of the tours, the selection criteria for the guides, as well as their payment status and representation through Stokes people. In a sense, ordering both the presentation as well as the institution itself. It is based on a so-called consensus paper produced by a working group of tour guides, civic education officers, um, and is continuously updated. A tour de Hohenschönhausen lasts for approximately two hours and should contain two-thirds material from the curriculum and one-third personal reflections from the guides. This is actually, these are students from Marburg University. I took them there in June. We did a tour and excursion of um, remembering GDR past. So Julian, you might actually know somebody in that country. <coughs> the, the tour guides are the linchpin of the tours since most of them are former inmates and or eyewitnesses who link the tour directly to their own experience. This form of oral history serves as a highly effective mechanism since it provides an interpretation of the physical structures and thus endows them with meaning from a political vantage point. There is not a single sign within the whole building. There's nothing written anywhere. The only guidance you get is through these guides, through the eyewitnesses. So all former inmates, most of them former inmates. It's a significant feature of the Memorial Museum since it propels the illusion of authenticity as elaborated before. The guides are the embodied past. The fact that in Hohenschönhausen the guides are mainly former inmates are victims of the repressive regime lends their words additional weight since their victim status commands respect and awe. Hohenschönhausen, in Hohenschönhausen this underscores the strength of their narrative, <coughs> particularly in terms of its influence on visitors regarding highly moral issues, often representing them as binaries such as victims versus perpetrators, us versus them, and good versus bad. Returning to the discussion of memorial museums before, the historical narratives are profoundly political and provide a particular moral framework. On a more general note, the compensation, a combination of authenticity portrayed by physical structures and the tours by former inmates and eyewitnesses transmits a powerful message to the visitors and beyond. Hohenschönhausen was a site of human rights abuses against mainly innocent people. More concretely, these abuses were perpetrated on common citizens by repressive political regime and enacted by state security, Stasi. The image painted at GDR, of the GDR is that it was a cruel and unjust dictatorship which observed, detained and tortured its innocent population. Given that its political orientation was socialist, there is an implicit association with this form of government as dictatorship. The memorial's strategy re re regarding dealing with the past is confrontational. It is the voice of the victims, even though the term is hardly ever used, turning against perpetrators. The Memorial Museum does not look to encourage dialogue or debate, but calls for transitional justice in terms of acknowledgement of past wrongs, symbolic reparations through remembrance, and the vindication of victims of, former, uh, of the former victims. More generally, 
The time enclosed in the heterotopia of Hohenschönhausen is that of abuse and repression, and it's inaccessible to the wear and tear of years, as Foucault would put it. After the historical rupture which followed the demise of GDR, the past is captured in a confined space. In this case, it, even, it is even imprisoned behind walls, protected by barbed wire. Hohenschönhausen is the same space in time as well as a timeless space. It is a real space that is, again Foucault, perfect, meticulous and well arranged. This is act, uh, actuated by the play around authenticity regarding the site and its stories, which seem to catapult visitors back to another time and make it feel real. Sometimes, sometimes the guards even, the, um, sorry, sometimes the eyewitnesses even bang the doors to make everybody jump, and then they say, well, you know, this is how we felt at the time. So they really play with this idea. Um, the specific way of collecting, ordering, and combining, exclude, excluding, operates to construct frames of references, a kind of map, so that the former remand prison is read in a way where the narrative is taken literally and not as an interpretation. This exploration of Hohenschönhausen through the lens of heterotopia reveals that the memorial portrays a narrative of a clear delineation between victim and perpetrators, offering one particular reading of the past in GDR. It collects, orders, combines and excludes particular items in order to construct a coherent and very authoritarian account of human rights abuses and repression in GDR. Given its representational power, it is important to consider how this presentation serves as a response to the discourse or disorder, again to use Foucault's term, prevalent in German society today, and if and how it functions as a space of resistance and other space that challenges what lies outside. So let's now turn to the outside Hohenschönhaus. This means German, this means real German. It's not a good character too, it doesn't really represent what I'm talking about, but I think it gives a bit of a the divide that still exists within Germany. So East Germans trying to copy West Germans, allegedly, that West Germans are arrogant, wealthy, smart, educated. Um, banana was a bit of a joke symbol for East Germany because apparently all they wanted was bananas. And Aldi. I'm sure you've got Aldi here as well. To consider Hohenschönhausen through the lens of heterotopia requires an assessment of its role as an other space, i.e. to analyse the space in which it is located, to which it's related and from which it is other. The context of this space is the reunited Germany. In what follows, I shall provide an overview of how GDR is remembered today by different social groups. First, it has to be noted that the particular context of Germany first divided, now unified, profoundly affects ways of remembering, leading to an extremely divergent memory scape between East and West. In addition, the long separation of Germany into different political regimes has not entirely been overcome. Despite the political unification in 1990, there remains a split in the mentality and culture of East and West that reflects how the past is remembered today while the side effects of German unification, i.e. the de facto devaluation of everything East, further add to a sense of nostalgia, to the romanticization of everything East. Nostalgia is a term in reference to nostalgia, uh, but Ost, 
OST in German means East. So not nostalgie, but ostalgie. It's a play on words for people who romanticize the remembrance of GDR. More, so that, that would be a symbol for that, you know, T-shirts you can buy, other kind of a commodification of memory as well. Moreover, given that history of the SED regime spans a long time, period of time comprising different phases, and which reaches up until the present day, with the still very active and successful political party Die Linke, the left, being a direct successor of SED party, dealing with the past is particularly challenging. Difficulties arise due to the different experiences people had in GDR, leading to different interpretations and memories. While every day life for the majority of people was not directly or explicitly affected by the SAD state, other people suffered direct repression. This is further complicated by the fact that the worlds of the SED, the one-party system and daily life under socialism, cannot simply be separated since the party penetrated all aspects of life. As a consequence, looking back at life in East Germany cannot be separated from its influence, um, an issue which for some people arguably obstructs any critical engagement with the past. So there's, there's just a very heterogeneous and colorful memory scape which is by no means surprising given the experiences of the two Germanies. Nonetheless, there are occasional debates over public institutions such as Hohen Schönhausen, which have the effect of streamlining public memory and memorials. One such example is the Commission of Experts for the Establishment of a History Consortium, which published its recommendations in 2006. This, as well as the accompanying debate, shall be illustrated in the following to show some of the tensions which exist in German memory scape today. The publication of the Commission's recommendation was accompanied by a heated debate, including controversies regarding the current and future influence of the SED party and its successors, the, the, the link of the left party. The organization and structuring of memorial in focus points and institutions and the towering question about the correct interpretation of the past. Debates around the current and future influence of the SED began with the dissenting opinion by Freya Clear, an East German civil rights activist and member of the Commission. Her main point of disagreement with the recommendation document concerns perceptions of GDR past and future. According to her, while a part of the Commission seemed to consider GDR as a closed chapter, she saw continuity in the working of old carters, calling for a more open and assertive strategy to confront them. Clear's criticism was mirrored in many newspaper articles, public debates, and academic journals. The deputy chairman of the advisory board of Memorial Hohenschönhausen accused the Commission of hiding behind new structures, organizations, and conceptions while losing sides of political struggle against the SED. The debate shows that there is a strong resistance or there even mild attempts to close the book and let the past rest, since it is assumed that past, present and future cannot be delineated easily and that there has not been a clear break of the past in Germany today. 
Hohenschönhausen as a heterotopia is one expression of this. A further point of contention was the recommendation by the Commission to organize memory and memorials in a, to a history consortium. The director of Hohenschönhausen, for instance, pointed to parallels with the SED centrally planned economy, which organized all small businesses as state holding companies in German Großkombinate, and he coined the term Aufarbeitungskombinat, so a holding company for unifying memorials in a kind of socialist sense. The comparison of the centralized structures of GDR might seem strong, yet it reveals that efforts to homogenize the memory scape appear as threatening to those who might fear being swallowed by the state-led memorial structure and potentially a state-induced meta-narrative. And again here, Hohenschönhausen is an example where it seeks to descend. Much disagreement was also provoked by the Commission's suggestion to focus less on state repression and terror in GDR, as reflected in Hohenschönhausen, but to present a more differentiated picture, including that of everyday life. According to the Commission, the oscillation between acceptance and dissent, enthusiasm, enthusiasm and content, scolding loyalty and niche happiness, has been neglected when representing and remembering the GDR. It wasn't bad for everybody, in short. The problem with separating everyday life from state repression, as one historian argued in disagreement, was that this was intrinsically linked. Repression was part of everyday life, he argues. For the director of Hohenschönhausen, too, this was an unusual suggestion, since it moved the reference point of remembrance away from the people who suffered from repression. So for him, victims should really be in the center of the memorial structure. Hohenschönhausen is a heterotopia, is a prime example for this. Moreover, its director accused the commission of promoting state-funded nostalgia against his nostalgia with reference to East Germany, belittling the state of repression. This was countered by the opposition with a personal attack against the director, who's quite a colorful figure, calling him a Stasi-hunter, and his memorial criticizing Hohenschönhausen for using a strategy of emotionally overwhelming the visitors without offering a sound pedagogical concept and concrete historical information. It is in this environment that Hohenschönhausen as a heterotopia, as an other space, fulfills its function of criticizing norms and normalizations or efforts to that effect of challenging seemingly comfortable spaces Situated in a colorful and divergent memory scape, it, its efforts to portray a coherent narrative regarding victims and perpetrators serves to highlight one particular aspect of GDR, human rights abuses and repression, to counter a more banal image of East Germany's, Germany, a romanization of an unjust regime and forgetting those who had suffered at its hands. By painting a stark picture of pain and suffering, it seeks to resist political and social efforts to coming, of coming to terms with the past. So what are the conclusions out of these two perspectives, inside and outside, um, through the lens of heterotopia? Situating Hohenschönhausen in, a wider, in wider social relations um, of transition, justice and beyond, reveals that it represents a very particular interpretation that does not correspond to some other readings of SED past in Germany's colorful memory scape. 
given that heterotopia, as argued by Foucault, can only be comprehended in relation to the social structures in which it emerges, the function of the narrow victim centers narrative becomes clear. One could argue that it serves as a, again Foucault, side of compensation for the, again Foucault, disordered, ill-conceived and sketchy state of German memory scale. It has thus, again Foucault, the function of forming another space, another real space, uh, an other space using, using authenticity to present the past in a seemingly incontested, real manner, which does not leave any room or freedom for interpretation. Central to this stance is the question of justice as reflected in the term transitional justice. Thus, what is a primary concern is not to paint a balanced picture, but to draw attention to injustices. As stated above, the attention behind the Memorial Museum is not to present a balanced view, but it's a deliberately political stance offering historical narratives couched in a moral framework. Since one objective of memorials in transitional justice is that victims have their suffering publicly acknowledged, the style of Hohenschönhausen is certainly conducive to convincing visitors of the guilt of the perpetrators and the innocence of the victims. By appealing to the moral framework of victims versus perpetrators, their passive victimhood of the past is turned into an active agency at the present, where they confront former Stasi members and denounce their actions. They have become a loud and noticeable voice in the public discourse, and in doing so prevent the crimes from being forgotten. This might not be surprising given that many victims and former activists seem to feel marginalized and forgotten in a united Germany. There is not really space for victims in Germany, victims of GDR. Holocaust, yes, but not GDR. The strong focus on victims at Hohenschönhausen runs counter to the reality that lies outside of it. So in this presentation, I have analyzed the Memorial Museum Hohenschönhausen against the backdrop of the wider memory scape of a united Germany. Using Foucault's concept of heterotopia, I have considered it as an other space which at a particular moment in time challenges or presents counter norms and normalizations in a society while simultaneously reflecting and negating prevailing social structures. It marks the first attempt to make use of the concept to analyze transitional justice institutions in the context of societies in which they exist and on which they seek to exert influence by providing some form of justice and leading to some form of transition. Assuming such a perspective suggests that it is important not to consider transitional justice mechanisms in isolation, but always as contextualized in the society in which they operate and which condition both their forms and didactic designs, as well as their potential effects in dealing with the past. Thank you.